Welcome back into the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to transition away from the Patriots, although we'll certainly get back into them. I want to go back here to the Red Sox. A great win last night, beating the Rays by a score of 2-1. to one. Again, the Sox are now a half game up on the Yankees in the AL wildcard picture. And joining us now is former Red Sox infielder Lou Merloni. Lou, uh, a radio host now at WEEI in Boston. You also hear him all season long on our coverage of Red Sox baseball right here on WDEV. And Lou, I've seen a lot of great throws in my life, right? But usually it's an outfielder who's camped under a fly ball and gets his momentum going forward and gets a great crow hop and delivers a seed. The throw by Renfro last night was unbelievable. Kind of take me through your thoughts on it, from the backup of Santana to the throw itself. You know, I, I think one of the things that gets lost in it, because this is what you would normally see, an outfielder would go and get it, and he would grab it, and with his momentum going towards center, would sort of just catch it, almost throw it off balance, right? But that's not what Renfro did, and that's what most will do. They'll catch it and just sort of chuck it in, kind of like what Iglesias did, right, inside Park home run. Yeah. Um, very similar. But he's running towards center because it, you know, it was behind him. But he catches it. He, once he catches it, he actually takes a couple of steps or a quick step and a half to reset his legs to get his legs underneath him to give him a better chance to make a throw. It was fantastic. And it was just, it was really all about Renfro, really, last night, right? That's really what that game was about, late at least. Yeah, unbelievable. He threw a guy out at second, had the two run homer in the eighth off Shagwa, and also had the game winning throw that ended the game. So, huge night for Renfro. And, you know, you were fighting this battle on Twitter last night. He's going to be here for a couple of more years because he's arbitration eligible, and people don't seem to realize mm-hmm. that this is a, that, that was a very underrated move by Heim Bloom this offseason. One of the better off-season signings, uh, obviously the best, probably one of the best ones here, right? Because, I mean, Whitlock wasn't technically a sign, and you kind of got him in this Rule 5 draft. But And one of the better ones really in the league when you look at the value that you get for him. And you're right. Like, people just sort of look at it and say, Renfro, one-year deal, three and a half, they got to sign him back. And and part of that is because he's having such a good year, it, it, you find it hard to believe that a team would just non-tender him and wouldn't be willing to pay him, you know, three and a half million in arbitration which is exactly what happened, right? So he still has two years of arbitration. So next year, they'll tender him a contract. He's under control for two more years. They'll pay him a bump from three and a half. It's arbitration, right? He's not a free agent. So he might get six and a half, something in there, that range, and then another year of maybe it goes to 10, 11. So um, you pretty much have Renfro for about three years, 20 million. You know, I mean, that's kind of what you did. Look at the player that you have. You know, socks a half five, something like that. Yeah. yeah, he's been he's been excellent, and he's you know he's been outside of April when he really struggled. He's been much better at just making contact. Like I always thought of him as a boomer bust guy who's going to hit two ten, but might hit you thirty bombs. He's going to hit the thirty bombs, but he's going to be around two seventy five by the time this is all said and done. Yeah, because you know, if for him to hit thirty home runs, it wouldn't surprise anybody, right? Because when you look at his career, he's done it. You know, he's hit thirty-three, he's hit twenty-six, he's hit three times now. He's hit twenty-six. So that's not the surprise. The surprise is that the average isn't two thirty, you know, two fifteen, two ten. Um, and I think a big part of that is, you know, convincing him. And Corey talked about this too. And Timmy Hires, the hitting coach, that you know, right field, there is a there is an area over there where you can get hits. There is some damage that you can do to right field, and by using the big part of the ballpark, you know. And, and, and you know, you're going to still hit your home runs pull side, mammoth bombs like he does, but there are hits over there. And that area over there in right center, that's the difference between hitting 215 and 265, 280, 270. You know what I mean? So there's singles over there. There's times when you want to launch, no question about it. 
but there are certain guys at time of year when you don't feel it. Get that knock over there. Move that line and hit yourself 265 instead of just being boomer busting uh, 215 hitter with 30 bombs. So uh, his overall game is, is completely improved. It's it's been really fun to watch. You know, Sox half game up on the Yankees right now for the first wild card spot. Presuming the Sox hold on and get one of the two spots. Is it a foregone conclusion you'd start Chris Sale in that one-game playoff, or would you consider Evaldi, given how good he's looked lately? Yeah, I would consider Evaldi, absolutely. I don't think it is a foregone conclusion at all. I mean, we still they still have, what, 20, 20 games left or whatever it is. So um, they got to see how, how these guys look. You know, I mean, if Sale starts to kind of labor a little bit and just fight to give you five, and Evaldi continues on the run that he's in, um, if you can line it up, uh, yeah, I would go with the Valdi. But, you know, the other thing, too, is the matchups. You know, let's see. Um, Nate has been great against the Yankees. Uh, so there's a lot of righties there. Toronto's got a lot of right-handed damage as well. So it, that, that might play a role. But uh, I, I think it's, you know, Valdi, Sale, and Erod. And if you can get there and get those three guys with how can that bullpen, you know, it could get interesting for them. Former Sox infielder Lou Maloney with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, going back to the trade deadline, we all thought the Red Sox were going to acquire a first baseman because the struggles for Bobby Dahlbeck were so intense. He's made a lot of adjustments here the last month or so, and quietly now 20 homers, 70 ribbies nearly. What adjustments has he made? You know, he's just on time. It took a long time, right? For, for four months, this guy wasn't a big league player, period, at the plate or in the field. You know, he's one of the worst defensive first basements, uh, hitting 210, well, 11 home runs, and, and, and striking out uh, 120 times in 290 at-bats. He wasn't a big league player. And, and all of a sudden, August hits, and I don't know what it was, whether it was, hey, you know, we didn't get a first baseman, we're going to give you a chance, but he became on time. I, used, I started nicknaming him kind of fouled off to the right <laughs> because every time he got 2-0, 2-1, 3-1, and he got a fastball to hit, he fouled it off to the right. Well, that's not the case anymore. And it's about timing, getting your foot down, seeing the baseball, and not being in a rush. And when you're in a rush, you know, sometimes you're out in front of breaking balls and you want to stay back. And then you stay back too long and you miss fastball. Well, that's not the case right now. He's just on time on everything. He's got confidence. And he looks like a completely different hitter. You know, yesterday was the Hall of Fame induction and Derek Jeter went in. I'm curious, what were your thoughts when you were playing on Jeter? And what was the perception of Jeter among his peers? Uh, respect, you know, just the utmost respect for him. I always felt like, as far as Boston goes, the best thing for Jeter was Arod going there because he got a new villain, and that's when Red Sox fans started just respecting him in his game. You can still don't like him because he's on the Yankees, but respect. Um, class act, in my opinion, um, was a guy that you know played the game the right way. Uh, as an infielder, it was like a second base. If he hits you one hop, you better get rid of it because he's busting his ass. Put pressure on the defense, clutch. Um, just just a tough out. I mean, it was just, you know, I can't say enough about the guy. It was fun. I saw him uh, in Tampa in the Florida State League, the year he mm. went A-ball, double-A, triple-A in the minors, and he was the best player in that league. It was, it was fun to watch. He was only there for a couple of months or whatever it was. But um, And then, of course, again, in the big leagues. Just a classy guy, you know, that I respect a ton. You know, I want to move over and get you one Patriots question before I circle back to something else. But uh, you were talking about this on your show, I think, on Friday at WEEI. I, I like Mac Jones, and I think the Patriots are going to be good with him. But has the Mac Jones hype gotten out of control? Yes. Yes, it has. Because there's too many people that like now think they can contend for a Super Bowl. 
You know what I mean? I still think it is, if you can sneak into the playoffs, it's still a, a plus. You know, he is yeah. still a rookie quarterback. You know, I wanted them to draft a quarterback in this draft because I wanted them to move forward, have hope, and look at the future. Um, and everybody kept coming at me and saying, well, he might be the fifth best quarterback. You don't want that. Or look at the busts in the first round. So all of a sudden now, if you do draft the fifth quarterback, and we forget all about the busts. We forget all about that he's the fifth quarterback. Now he's on the Patriots, and he's going to be great. And I hope he is. To think as a rookie he is going to come in here and not make mistakes in the fourth quarter, we'll, we, we have a hard time getting upset about because we realize he's a rookie and it's going to happen. We don't want to see him do it again. We don't want to see it being a habit. But there are going to be some growing pains. And, and he's got the best staff, coaching staff, you know, in the league that will take care of him. But still, there's going to be some mistakes. This is a good team. But, you know, without Steph Gilmore, it's a great defense. I don't know. When does he come back? Does he come back? So there's still – there's still a lot of questions. They still have one of the worst wide receiving groupings in the NFL. You know, um, so it's just, I think they're going to be good. You know, I think 10 and 7, you know, maybe they go 11 and 6 and make the playoffs, but everybody thinking they're actually going to contend in the AFC, I think, is just buying in a little bit too much. And I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, I, I am completely with you on everything you just said there. Um, I do want to wrap up on this. Part of the reason I wanted to have you on this week, and particularly at the end of the week, is because we are coming up on the 20-year anniversary of September 11th, and you were a big leaguer at the time. You were playing for the Red Sox. You were up with the Major League team around that time. Um, take me back. What are your memories of that week? September 10th, we were in New York, and we got rained out. And um, we waited, we waited, we waited. They finally called it. We had to rush to the airport to get to Tampa um, to make curfew, right, to be able to get on the plane and get the hell out of there. So we got into Tampa at about 6 a.m. I don't even know what time it was, 5.30. I mean, at the hotel area. Um, I, one thing I do remember is that Trot Nixon, his wife, Catherine, they had their first baby. Mm-hmm. So when he landed at like 4, 4.30, he got a car and drove to North Carolina. You know, so he's he's gone. We're all in the hotel. I go to bed around five thirty six in the morning, wake up around, I don't know, noon, you know, because it's yeah. just so late. And when I wake up, my phone, I don't know how many, I mean, I have 40 messages. Because we were in New York the day before, right? So, yeah. And, and the first one was just like, hey, how you doing? So make sure you get into Tampa. And, and as the messages went, there was a little bit more panic. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. um and I, I usually, the first thing I do, I wake up in the morning, turn on ESPN, and I'll tell them. And all of a sudden, I saw on ESPN what had happened. And then, you know, made some phone calls. On, and we were notified as a team what we were doing, team meeting. We actually stayed in Tampa for a couple of days and took a bus to, I mean, a train, rather, to Boston. We went old school, right? Old school on, the, on a train, which, I, which was actually a lot of fun. But after a couple of days in Tampa, took a train because we were, we were thinking we might play in Baltimore. You know, they might just cancel a series or two. Well, they canceled the whole week. So we just kept going right to Boston. And uh, when we came back, there was a little bit of crazy times, right? Workouts, not knowing if we're playing, fear, anger, a lot of emotions. But, um, yeah, that was that was a tough time, no question. You know, there's the MLB Network documentary coming out on the Mets game against the Braves where Piazza hits the famous home run off Steve Carsey. Um, what was it yeah. like for your guys' first game back? Very emotional, you know, and I think there was just – a lot of people, I and mean, if you go back to that time, you know, and it doesn't sound that crazy, but people just, you know, during the anthem kind of, you know, looking up, you know what I mean? Like you're in the city, I'm in Boston, and people just sort of, you know, I know there's no fly zones, but there was still just, people were on edge, you know what I mean? We, we felt like we needed to get back to playing baseball. There were some that felt like we never should go back to playing baseball. You know, even some players kind of maybe felt a little bit uncomfortable about it, but, um, 
it just it needed it, right? Like you needed a yeah. packed stadium. You need people in there for a while to stop thinking about what had happened. They're just take their minds off of it for a little bit. And I think that's what kind of sports plays a role, you know, with everything that goes on, you know. Here, even like the Boston Marathon, another one, right? So there's just bringing people together. I think that's, I think it's important. And I think it did. I think it played a role. But there was a lot of uneasiness, I can tell you that much. Lou Merloni, former Red Sox infielder, radio host now at WEEI in Boston, and also part of the Red Sox coverage all season long right here on WDEV Radio. Lou, we appreciate the time and perspective on these Sox, but also the remembrances of September 11th, the 20-year anniversary, coming up on Saturday. Appreciate the time as always, Lou. We will continue listening the rest of the season. We'll talk to you again. Hi, Appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate you. Take care.